Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. And while it's not the traditional Barbecue Central Show, we welcome you into another bonus content segment here on the Barbecue Central Show. This time around, I have gathered three prominent barbecue personalities and experts to talk about ribs, to talk about brisket. We'll also talk about some Oklahoma Joe's products as well as these three folks are sponsored in some way by Oklahoma Joe's as the show has been through the summer. So looking forward to this segment indeed. Let's go ahead and make some introductions and we can go from there. On the panel this evening, we're recording on Wednesday evening, July 20th. Enrico Pasquale is joining me, Q Shanty, Wes Edwards from Farmhouse Barbecue, and Hondo Hernandez of Show Off Barbecue, all on Instagram. So it's Q, the letter Q, Shanty, with a Y at the end, BBQ for Enrico. Wes is at Farmhouse Barbecue, all spelled out, B-A-R-B-E-C-U-E, and Hondo on Instagram is Show Off underscore BBQ. So if you're not following them right now, make sure that you do that immediately or as you're taking in this podcast. So let's start it like we do with folks that have been on the show not even one time or the first time or debuting, which is what we're all doing here this evening. Let's start with Enrico first. A little background about you, where you live. If you're not into barbecue and grilling full time, what you're doing professionally to earn a living. So I am from Rainham, Massachusetts, uh, just about 30 minutes south of Boston. My full-time job is a construction safety officer in the city of Boston. How long have you been doing safety? Uh, I've been doing that now for about five years. My Michigan embedded correspondent, John Solberg, is wetting his feet in the safety world. He did something completely different for a long time, and now safety is his gig. Is that a growing position like if you left where you're at now could you easily get another job and is that something that perhaps folks that are looking for a position might want to start to look at um yes it is because safety is not just in construction it's in every industry out there so a lot of people i know start off in construction or in residential and then they work their way into the insurance side of safety which is dealing with all the monies and seeing all that stuff so it is always growing. I've been with the same company now for almost five years and they're who I got my start with and I can see myself moving up in different positions within our company. So I'm always trying to grow and learn. I'm actually in school for it right now. So nice. I'm going to school and working full time. Barbecue expert and our resident safety guy here on the bonus segment tonight is Enrico Pasquale. Let's go to Wes Edwards, a little background on you, where you're living, uh, family life, and what you might do for a day job if it's not full-time barbecue and grilling. Yeah, I live in a little small town called Pine Level, uh, North Carolina. I'm about 30 minutes from Raleigh, if uh, you know where Raleigh is. Um, I have a wife and a son. He's uh, 18, just graduated high school, so um, got a good future ahead of him. I've been in barbecue competition since 2015. Um been in everything from KCBS, SCA, uh, Backyard Events, Carolina League. It's uh, got a little bit all over. Um, I used to work in pharmaceuticals and logistics. Um, got laid off three times and decided I'm going to start catering and being a private chef. So that's what I do full time now. All right. So that sounds like, a, is that something where you're able to make your schedule or do you have a pretty rigorous client list and, uh, you know, the demands are yeah, pretty much what, the same Yeah, whatever day to day. the customer wants. Yep. Yeah, whatever the customer wants is my schedule. 
uh, any high-level athletes that we might know about? I wish. Hopefully one day. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, that's <laughs> if you can get me on the list with some, that'll, that'll work. Uh, I know plenty. I'll make all the introductions that you need down there in the North Carolina area, and you'll be the uh, barbecue chef to the athletic stars down there, no doubt about it. That's Wes Edwards. And last but certainly not least is Hondo Hernandez. Uh, Hondo, a little background on you, what you're doing professionally, if it's not full-time barbecue and grilling, and where you're currently stationed. Yeah, so I'm in uh, Salinas, California, uh, right in the central central part of the West Coast, uh, probably about 10 minutes from the ocean. So everything's gorgeous uh, when it comes to weather. Uh, I don't think it gets hotter than 78 degrees. I don't think it gets colder than 60. So it, it stays pretty nice out here. So it's barbecue season all year round. But um, I, I started cooking professionally um, as a professional competitor for four to five years. Uh, I was trained under Ernest Cervantes, which is better known as the Pope of Barbecue, uh, from the Burnt Bean Company, who just recently got uh, voted number four on Texas Monthly, um, and competed for a long time on a team with him uh, as part of the Brisket Cartel with Fred Robles and uh, Carlo Casanova. So those are my mentors. Those are my big brothers. Uh, it's, it's been one of those things that they've blessed me with all the knowledge that uh, I need to set me up for success. Um, in more recent years, in the past five or six years, I went to the restaurant industry, uh, became an executive chef uh, from the training that I received from Ernest uh, out in Texas. And um, I've been dabbling in the restaurant industry for the past, you know, four or five years and finally decided about eight months ago to walk away from the whole thing and, and start doing stuff on my own. So it got to a point where I just got tired of making money for other people. And uh, it just was taking the barbecue town on the road. So I told my wife we needed to invest in ourselves and we put all of our money into a uh, food trailer that's being built right now in Houston, Texas. And uh, we actually get ready to go pick her up in about a month. Um, and so we will be hitting the coast all up and down doing events. Uh, the most recent one that uh, we're getting ready to do is the uh, Boots and Brews uh, Music Festival, Country Music Festival, which attends probably about 10,000 people. And they do about four or five different shows uh, with headliners from, you know, Tim McGraw, Brothers Osborne and everybody there. So that's that's what's next on the horizon for us. And still trying to keep up with the competition schedule. I think we're going to be headed out to uh, Dallas in the next couple of months to do World Food Championships. So that should be fun. Competition-wise, Enrico, I'll circle back to you here in just a second. It's been down for California. In fact, it's trended yeah. down for any number of years. It used to be a burgeoning competition area. Some of the best competitions every year, certainly in KCBS, were held there. But then all of a oh, sudden, yeah. they're dropping off like flies. One of my good oh, friends, yeah, one of my good friends, and uh, one of the longest-running sponsors of my show is Big Pop Smoke, uh, Big Pop Smoker Sterling Ball, of course. Oh, I love Sterling. One of the premier cookers, and his yeah. biggest complaint to me is, I think I could really make a push for Team of the Year, but wow, I got to travel so far, and all the best competitions in California have died off. Is that something that you think you see a resurgence of at some point? Hopefully. Um, for us, we've had to travel, I mean, mostly to Nevada just to go compete and do stuff. Uh, our last competition was in Las Vegas. Um, and anything out here on the coast, you either kind of hold your breath and hope it doesn't get canceled. Um, or if they have enough people that are going in, I mean, it's, it's really, really hard. Um, but you know, California people, I don't think people realize how big California actually is. And you do have to travel quite a way to compete. And it was even like that when barbecue was starting to go on the rise. Um, we were even having to travel, you know, four to five hours just mm -hmm. to go compete. So, and we are loading up a trailer and getting everything. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a daunting aspect, but you know, it's all fun. Um, but it's not like Texas or anywhere else where you can go to, you know, have your pick of two or three different competitions within a stone's throw, decide what you want to do. So, 
um, yeah, it's, it's been a struggle. So we haven't really done much in the past, you know, two or three years. Um, fortunately, the, the ones that we have done, we, we were able to grand in and, and that was uh, our entrance into the World Food Championship. So now, like I said, instead of California, now we get to travel to Dallas to go compete out there. So, uh, Wes, let me touch base with you real quick on the competition scene. You had mentioned you do it. Are you a fairly frequent competitor or... I mean, I know last right. couple of years have been really different as far as COVID, how that affected a lot of stuff, how people can gather, all that stuff. But now as we're starting to get out of it, in your best year, how many events did you do and what's the climate like in competitions in Carolina? Uh, my best year was 25 comps. Um, that, was a, that was a couple of years before COVID started. Yeah. Um, like you said, COVID has really it put the brakes on a lot of things, especially I was in a transition from KCBS to SCA just because of a financial aspect. Mm -hmm. uh, meat's not cheap, and competition in KCBS is not cheap. It's fun, but it's not cheap. So I wanted to test the waters with SEA, and um, right now SEA is on fire in North Carolina. We have great amount of comps that we've got, especially on the eastern side of the state where we're from, and we're all kind of a family. We all follow these competitions together, and, and we all get along and love doing them, and uh, this year, we've traveled towards the mountains of North Carolina to compete in some events and South Carolina also. So all, of, all the whole area is really taken off. Enrico, let me circle back to you here since this is kind of a competition roundtable. I assume you uh, compete from time to time and you're in a little bit different area up there in the far northeast. Uh, some people say I'm in the Midwest in Cleveland. I've never really understood that. But originally, I'm from uh, upstate New York and then uh, obviously, you're a little bit more north of that. So what's the competition scene like up there and in a normal environment? How many would you like to get in? So for us up here, uh, it's been dwindling for a little while. We basically have one or two organizers now who are kind of taking the reins, trying to get us comps and all that stuff. Uh, it's a good shout out to Jeremy and Kathy Trainer. They both run two different organizations trying to get us comps. So for us, we try to do one a month if possible. Sometimes I can do two a month, depending on financial end of it. Still being 26, I'm still trying to grow, but I've been doing it now for 10 years competitively. So wow. I'm trying to get as many in as possible, but it also depends on the month. Like some months we have nothing up here and some months we have three or four. So it's what I can finally financially afford at that point in time, telling me how many comps I can go do. Enrico, let's stay with you. From a live fire perspective, has it always been something that's been part of your life, or did you find a passion for barbecue and grilling a little bit later? So for me, it started out at like four or five, just in the kitchen with my mom cooking at the house. And then like eight or nine, when we first moved into the house we live at now, we got a propane grill and I just was grilling outside. And then smoking started about 12, 13 years old, just hanging out with my buddies. We're just outside cooking and having a good time. And 16 i was like i want to try getting into the competition field at 16 so i joined the what is now northeast barbecue society which was new england barbecue society at first so we did our first comp at 16 and i was hooked on the competition field ever since then what was that first experience like 16 is young i often wonder through the i mean i've been doing the show now live for 14 years it was two years as a podcast before that so almost 20 years of seeing the sport evolve and there was what I had referred to as the golden areas, uh, era where Pitmasters was on TV. Everybody that I was talking to after that was saying, oh, Pitmasters is what really inspired me to get into competition barbecue. And there was this great wave, and it's now started to trend down as we were talking about 
events canceling, general popularity dwindling, and then you have the emergence of the SCA, which has really started to take over competition in live fire cooking in general uh, from a lot of the other barbecue sanctioning bodies. So um, what was it like at 16? That's that's pretty young. Yeah, it is. But for us, it was um, me and my mom going out to the first competition. My parents were always the biggest sports. If you want to do it, we'll support you. We'll try getting you back. And uh, at 16, yeah, I did come in DAL in one category, which was chicken wings. But my ribs were middle of the pack, so I was pretty happy. And then, so then that following week, I went out and spent $1,000 and got my first real smoker, which was a full stick burner built onto a trailer. And then from there, I've evolved into different cookers. I mean, I use my Oklahoma Joe Bronco pros like every other day, just cooking at the house, doing stuff. But the biggest thing is, learning a craft. It doesn't matter how old you are, just giving the passion and the drive is what's going to keep you going. I mean, barbecue is always changing. Different flavor profiles are always out there for us. So as a barbecue chef, you want to be able to willing to learn and try different things. It doesn't matter what you're cooking on. As long as you're having fun and you're doing what you love, it doesn't matter. Well, you're doing it for a long time now, uh, 16, uh, going up against grown-ass men. Uh, certainly had to have been, I would have been intimidated, no doubt about it. So uh, let's go to Wes real quick and uh, tell me a little bit about your live fire background. And is it something you've always been around or did you get into it a little bit later? Honestly, right out of high school, uh, my brother-in-law, he's a huge East Carolina Pirates fan. So he started taking me tailgating and hanging out at these big events and at East Carolina University. And we're all the time grilling, tailgating parties and started doing more and more. And all of a sudden I want to cook all the time too. And it's like a disease that just starts growing on you. And then I found out the more I cook, it was more of a stress relief for me. I started, it made me happy. And I was like, if I'm having a bad day, I'm going to cook something. Um, I can totally relax with a beer and have the grill going. So I just kind of fell into it the older I got right out of high school. And then, um, like I said, after being laid off a few times, I decided I'm going to turn this into a passion and, and get to cooking more. And that's that's how I got my, my feet wet. I know you had mentioned that you were really brought up by some of the greats out there, Carlo, Ernest, but even growing up much younger than that, has barbecue been a part of your life? Yeah, man. Um, growing up on the coast, you know, we had barbecues just damn near every weekend. Um, now the cooking style was a whole lot different back then because, you know, everybody out here uses the Santa Maria pit. Um, our proximity to Santa Maria, California, which is the, you know, the birthplace and the home of tri-tip, you know, that's, that's the staple in California. Um, now it's, it's more recently starting to, to breach out in different regions. Um, I remember first uh, traveling and, and kind of going to Texas and and realizing that tri-tip wasn't big out there and, and some guys had never even heard of it. And it was kind of, it was odd to me because, you know, for me, it was like an everyday kind of thing. Like you had tri-tip everywhere. Um, and so it, I had always been around it growing up. My uncles and, and everybody were really into barbecue, uh, but they really didn't stretch out too much other than that. It was more grilling and having a good time and, and nobody was really doing anything serious. Um, and it wasn't until uh, I got married and I actually uh, was talking to my brother-in-laws and they were the same thing, watching the pitmaster shows and all that. And they were like, Hey, this stuff's really good. You should probably compete. And I'm like, well, let's look for one. And just so happened, we ended up finding a competition, a, a little local one in a, in a church parking lot, um, went out there and it was more about drinking beer and having a good time. And you know, that whole bit. And we ended up finishing middle of the pack. And so I kind of decided like, Hey, like we don't suck at this, like let's do another <laughs> one. And so it just ended up being like, 
that kind of thing and it took off. And then I just, um, through the channels of, of my old job, I was in graphic design for 13 years. That's how I met, uh, Ernest was, um, through social media and it was me doing his graphics for his logo at the time, uh, when he was fresh off of Pitmasters All-Stars. Um, he actually sought me out because there was a particular style that I was doing, which was more of a West Coast graffiti style uh, that he wanted. And he reached out and asked if I wanted to design his shirts. And I said, absolutely. Uh, at the time, I was a bit of a fangirl because he was really the only uh, Hispanic guy really doing it out there going up against, you know, Myron Mixon and, and everybody else. And um, it was a little bit of a, a starstruck moment for me and, and it, anybody outside of barbecue, they don't know who the hell I'm talking about. Um, but for me and the guys that were there were like, holy shit, like Ernest Cervantes. I'm like, yeah, it was crazy. Like I was fangirling out. And uh, long story short, we ended up becoming really good friends. Um, and it just turned out to, he noticed that I cooked too. And he said, Hey, do you want to come out to Texas and cook with me? And I said, absolutely. Um, so he flew me out and uh, we ended up going more than a couple of times. Um, and just became really good friends. And then that led me on to a team being able to cook at the Royal next to Ernest and, and Fred Robles, who won a couple of years later. And, you know, it just learning from these guys that just it just opened my eyes. And I just was a sponge, man. Like whatever these guys needed. I was the water boy. I was the paper towel guy. Like, you know, what do you guys want? I'm building boxes like I wasn't cooking any meat at that time for them. And I was just watching, just soaking everything in. And like the other the other two gentlemen on here said, it just it becomes addicting, man. You get that bug and it's just one comp is done and you're looking for your next one and then it's like you know getting your your prep and you get into your mode where you're just you know in the zone and you're cooking it just kind of takes over it's almost like being possessed it's crazy man but i absolutely love it before we talk about ribs and brisket because those continue to be the two most popular barbecue meats in the backyard and we want to make sure that we're going to be giving out some great information to those that are looking to step the game up as they say here over the next uh, weeks and months of whatever summer we have left, depending on where you live uh, in Cleveland, it's uh, winter 10 months out of the year, of course, and we get one week of spring and one week of fall, and in the middle we get really hot summer. So we're all here uh, because we have a common partner. Uh, they uh, Oklahoma Joe's has been sponsoring the show, uh, the Barbecue Central Show for the summer, and obviously you guys have some form or fashion of partnership with Oklahoma Joe as well. So let's go back to Enrico here. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how your relationship started and where it is today with Oklahoma Joe. So it started out about two and a half years ago, right when COVID hit, I sold my big, huge smoker of my first one. And I went out and just got the regular little Oklahoma Joe regular pro just for the backyard. And I was shooting a couple of YouTube videos. I sent them over and they're like, Rico, fill out the application to be a pro team. We'll get back to you. And I was like, okay. And December comes rolling around and it, they sent me an email and I'm like, oh, I didn't really believe it was really them just because you wouldn't think just a young kid like me would have got that. So I was like, ah, I don't think this is them. And they called my phone and like, we actually, we actually did send you an email. I'm like, oh shoot, you're actually real. I thought it was a scam. <laughs> and it wasn't, it was just one of those things that you weren't really thinking what happened to you. And it was that, and then it just kind of like grew. I mean, they sent me out last year, the Bronco pro, which really helped out our game on, on our ribs. We switched straight over to that. And I've seen a very big increase in scores. And then during the off season, this past off season, my buddy had two pros that he had that he didn't like anymore. So I was like, uh, you can just hand those to me. I'll take them and got those ones all set up. And now I'm playing around with their pellet, trying to get the pellet dialed in for, uh, 
risk it and check in for myself because I'm trying to lessen a little bit of weight on the trailer and mm. not carrying four drums plus the little 18 just so I can do chicken wings. Uh, I'm trying to just take some of the weight off. So I'm trying to play around better to get better with my brisket, my chicken on the pellet, but pork and ribs will always stay on the drums. So you they have a, leave. you have a pretty good experience with most of the uh, portfolio offerings that Oklahoma Joe's is selling. Yes. Yes, I have. Excellent. Uh, Wes, how did your relationship with Oklahoma Joe come to be? Similar to Rico there. Um, got a buddy down on the Gulf coast that, um, was with Oklahoma Joe's and, uh, was talking to him and I had several Oklahoma Joe's products. So I wanted to reach out to Oklahoma Joe's and kind of give them my background and send some videos. And one thing led to the other and we got to talking and formed a relationship together. Um, and ever since, you know, I've had, I've got four, pro, uh, Bronco pros like Rico was talking about the DLX 1200 pellet smoker with the new control board and two of their uh, smaller grills they call the Rambler and I use those all the time in SEA. Hondo your relationship road with Oklahoma Joe how does that happen? I've probably only owned one other grill other than Oklahoma Joe's previously when I first started out Um, and my first big purchase was that Oklahoma Joe's Highland at that time was um, that was my my chariot right there I mean it just was like you know uh, at the time I'm sitting there thinking I'm like okay I went to Walmart I seen this thing I've been eyeballing it every time I go to the store you know you walk through that barbecue aisle and you're just looking at them and and it was just you know it was one of those things that just it kind of just called to me so made the purchase um started playing around with it. The results were immediate. I mean, just the game just completely changed having an offset smoker. Um, started using that and we coincidentally, we used that for our, our first comp we used. Um, and my brother-in-laws liked it so much that they went out and bought one themselves each. And so then it turned into, as we were competing more and more, we had three Highlands is what we were competing on from the very, very beginning before I'd even had talks with Oklahoma Joe's. Um, and then it was probably about a solid, maybe two years after that, um, it was uh, Oklahoma Joe's reaching out through uh, social media posts saying, you know, hey, we have an application process online and if you want to go check it out, you know, give it a shot. And so I filled it out. Um, and then sure enough, got a phone call back and and started talking. And then it was, you know, explaining the some of the products and what they were interested in and really liked the content that we had on social media at the time. So, um, yeah, everything kind of took off from there. So now, you know, I own uh, two Highlands. Um, I have three of the Bronco pros, the tabletop Rambler, uh, the 1200 DLX, uh, with the new control board also, um, which replaced the first generation DLX that I had before, which they had some kinks and some issues with, but they made it, they made up for everything now. Cause the new one's absolutely a, a beast. Um, and then my new favorite one is the, uh, Weber blackjack kettle, which is my, their, their spin on the new, um, the Weber kettle style. Um, and then a Longhorn combo gas charcoal grill, which my wife usually uses. So um, there's a lot of times where I'm cooking or catering and she'll go out there and fire some stuff on the, the gas grill for the kids. So Sounds like everybody's got a good breadth of experience with the Oklahoma Joe product line, which is great to hear from a yeah. influencer or sponsored team or individual, whatever you want to call them. I mean, there's so many terms these days, it's hard to decipher which one is right and which one isn't. One key piece of advice for anybody that thinks that they want to start to look for a partner, whether it's a grill maker or fuel or whatever it is, um, doesn't just have to be grills. Honda, what's your best singular piece of advice for somebody that's looking to get some kind of a partnership going? 
I would think just uh, stick to what you really believe in. I mean, that's kind of been one of the things for me. You see so many people out there that push products that they don't necessarily believe in, but just because they're giving them free stuff, you know, they push it, push it, push it. Um, Every brand that we've been involved with, it's been something that we actually use on a daily basis. Um, It's something that we put 100% of our faith into uh, the same way that they put their faith into us. So I, I figure whatever you guys end up deciding to go after, just make sure that you believe in that product. And if something comes up, good, bad, or anything like it, just as much as they stand by you, you're going to be able to stand by them. Rico, your thoughts on, or what your best singular piece of advice to become a influencer or chase down a sponsor. I agree with what just got said. It's dedication. It's hard work. And you want to show yourself using the products before you even go out and try to attempt to try to get one. You want to show that you're already on board with what their products are. I mean, I have a few of other sponsors besides that, and I used a lot of their products way before I even tried to even go for them and all that stuff. So just dedication, hard work. And if they say no to you, don't worry. A no can also change over time. It can change into a yes. It's just you got to show dedication and you want to show yourself out there. Wes, what's your best piece of advice? I've got got two. One is research. Do your research. Go to the stores. Go to Facebook. Check out their website. Um, Go to their social media. But then also look who they have on their team and look at the longevity of the people that's been there. And that's going to tell you a lot about the company. All right. So before we get into talking ribs and brisket, I thought we would do something that the Barbecue Central is known for, and that's doing absolutely ridiculous game shows. And that's what we're going to do this evening. It's a little trivia about Oklahoma Joe himself, Joe Davidson, who we know is the namesake and originator of this brand. So I'm going to ask each of you a true or false question. I'm sure everybody is well-schooled on Joe Davidson history and architecture. So we will go to Rico first. Rico, are you ready for this question? True or false? Joe Davidson is in the Barbecue Hall of Fame. True. Final answer? I believe so. Not 100% sure, but I believe so. We're going with yes. Is Joe Davidson in the Barbecue Hall of Fame? Yes. Of course. For an extra slice of cheese on your sandwich, do you know what year he was put in by chance? No, I do not. Off the top of my head. Anybody? On the panel below, anybody? No, all right. So, uh, I'll, of course, I'll say 05. 05. Come on, what are you talking about? It's twenty twenty, of <laughs> course. This is what we know. Twenty twenty. All right, let's go to West. I don't even think the Barbecue Hall of Fame was around in two thousand and five, if I'm not mistaken. That's a shame. West, true or false? At one point in time, Joe Davidson was partners with another barbecue legend. Jeff Staney. Well, I'll go with true. Are you guessing? I am. Totally. <laughs> final answer? I might be tricky. Final final answer. All right. We'll lock you in. Is Was Joe Davidson at one point partners with another barbecue legend, Jeff Staney? Yes. Of course. Oklahoma Joe's The Original was founded in Kansas City, of course, and now it's Joe's KC, which is that gas station place that all the barbecue TV shows love to go and look at. So this brings us to Hondo. Uh-oh. 
We got to make the run here. Don't let us down, Hondo. Come on. <laughs> no pressure. True or false? And keeping with the Jeff Staney theme, Jeff Staney is also in the Barbecue Hall of Fame. True or false? True. Final answer? Yes. For all the marbles, there's actually no marbles, but to run a perfect table, was Jeff Staney also in the Barbecue Hall of Fame? Yes, of course. Outstanding. Well, we've done yeah, it. I actually think I, I think I was at the Royal when he was inducted. Is why I, I think about. It. I think he went the same year as Melissa Cookston. Well, and uh, Tuffy Stone, I believe. Well, you're 2019, wow. I think. So you're really close on a lot of stuff here. He won in also with Melissa Cookston, yes, but he also won in with famous Dave Anderson. That's right. That's right. And the year was for the extra slice of cheese, 2017. So three years ahead of his business partner, former business partner, but still a good friend, uh, Joe Davidson, Oklahoma Joe himself. All right, so enough of that nonsense. Let's go ahead and talk about ribs. We all love ribs. Damn it. We'll keep this a little bit more backyard focused if you want to throw in some competition stuff because you're feeling exceptionally gracious. Go ahead and do that as well. Rico, as you're going to the market, what are you looking for in a rib, number one? And then... On top of that, is it preferred in your palate, baby back or spares? So for myself, I go looking for the rib that has the most marbling, the most intimate muscle fat, which is the little striations that you're looking for. And my go-to rib is a spare rib. I love a nice slow-cooked or hot and fast spare rib. Those are my downfall. Do you have a particular purveyor of rib that you prefer or doesn't matter? Um, I prefer either Hatfields or Smithfield Extra Tenders. Those are my two go-to brands of ribs that I look for personally and also for the competition field as well. Uh, Wes, when you're in the store, what are you looking for in a rib? And is it baby back or spares? I like the spare ribs also. I'm looking for a lot of marbling on top, um, a nice thick rib, probably in the three to four pound range, uh, a rack. And then on the back, I like to look for straight bones. I don't like a rack of ribs that's got crooked bones because that's going to cook different on you and it's going to draw up and it will not look good in the turning box. Uh, do you have a specific purveyor of rib that you like? I like to look for prairie fa- uh, fresh. They're, they're my favorite. Hondo, uh, you're going to the store. What are you looking for rib-wise? And are you a baby back or a spare guy? Fat ass asparagus. That's what I'm looking for. Straight bones, exactly like these gentlemen did. Uh, but prairie fresh uh, naturals. Those are those have seemed to be the meatiest uh, ribs that I've had. Um, I used to use Smithfield a lot, but then I kind of found I got better results with the prairie fresh when it came to the texture of the actual meat. All right, let's stay with you, Hondo. From a preparation standpoint, once you get it out of the cryovac, uh, what do you like to do from a trim perspective? And then, how far in advance are you rubbing the rib? I'm getting everything trimmed and rubbed down the night before. Um, I've always been told to do a minimum of 45 minutes before you're doing comps. Uh, but for us, we've always gotten the best results doing it around 9 o'clock at night is when the rub first hits the rib. Then we'll just let it sweat it out. Uh, but once it comes out of the cryo, we'll rinse it down, trim it off, get the membrane off the back, and then kind of just isolate those, you know, those middle eight bones in the middle, trim everything else off to the side. Um, just make sure everything's all squared up and looking pretty. If, if it doesn't look pretty when you're trimming it, it's not going to look pretty in the end. Rico, your thoughts on trimming and, and prepping? I completely agree with what just got said. But for me, I'm actually injecting my ribs 
the night before and then i'll put my rub on about an hour before i'm putting them on the smoker uh, when i'm looking for my trim i just want it uniformed i want it all being roughly the same size i'm always taking the first two bones off i'm taking all the flat meat off so i'm getting left with my seven to nine great bones depending on the rack ribs you have and just making sure everything's uniform it's the biggest key for me is uniform how do you injector of ribs as well no, no. i do not never 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 ever yeah Never, ever. All right. Uh, Wes. It's weird. Yeah. I've seen it done. I just don't get the results. I'm well, on. look, I mean, uh, when I first started doing competition roundtables back in 2007 before everybody was born, uh, there nobody was injecting anything. Like, uh, nobody knew what Wagyu beef was. It was poo-pooed. Everybody laughed at why would you ever do that? And uh, the, the only thing that was even considered to be injected, and that was like 50-50, was pork butt, but nobody else was injecting anything. You fast forward now and everybody's injecting everything chicken is now being injected if it's not already enhanced depending on what you're buying and of course now you're seeing ribs on the tv shows like uh, barbecue usa with michael simon right now who's a cleveland guy is uh, showing these competition teams prep up their ribs and most of them were injecting the ribs over the last couple of weeks that i was seeing yeah. so it's now well, become it's nice, it's nice to see barbecue competitions back on tv again because it kind of felt like uh you know we were left with the cooking shows more more or less like the uh um what was the netflix one the um the uh great american showdown where it was more of a cooking show than actual competition so so i am enjoying this one with michael so i'm glad he went out to the actual competition competition circuit to get a kind of view because that's a totally different ball game out there so uh Wes, what's your man? uh rib trimming and prep process after you get out of the cryovac I'd take the membrane off and square up the ends. Uh, two bones on each side I remove because basically they're going to overcook and not be worth eating anyway. Um, I like to inject my ribs also. I have found a sweet injection takes the ham taste away from a rib. And I don't <laughs> want people thinking they're eating a piece of ham. So I like to inject with a sweet apple juice mixture with some seasonings. And, and then it'll sit in the refrigerator overnight. And the next day I like to season about an hour before they go on the smoker. Uh, do you prefer a particular seasoning or rub or is that something that you uh hold secret no um actually all my sponsors that i have is what i use either catering or private events or competition so smoking ghost rub all purpose and flaps 20 and shore smoke seasoning um i use every bit of those and it gives me great results and a lot of great feedback uh, rico when are you rubbing and uh, what do you use uh, I'm using Oak Ridge barbecue products as well as a little bit of Heath Riles for the apple for my ribs. Uh, but I'm strictly mostly all Oak Ridge products and everything I use. Uh, Honda, what are you using for seasoning? So one of our main sponsors, Blues Hog, that's, that's primarily what we use for our ribs. Um, but also a little bit of that West Coast offense with, you know, Big Papa Smokers out there. He's got some great products. So between those two, um, usually go to is if I like to mix it up and, and do some, uh, some side work or, or something that uh, is a chef's choice or something, I will go with, uh, Mark Lambert, who's a good friend of mine, a sweet swine of mine is, uh, his rubs are absolutely incredible too. So between those three. Uh, Wes, anything else in the prep process that we haven't covered that you always do when you're doing ribs? No, I think we've all covered it. Um, you do all this, you're going to get a great product, and people are going to be really happy. Uh, Rico, anything else that you're doing in a prep process? No, not at all. Oh. I agree with everything that's got said so far. All right, Hondo, anything else you're doing before you hit the cooker? No, one thing that's it. All right, so let's go back to Rico. What are you running the cooker at? And... I would assume 
that, especially for competition, at some point during the cooking process, you're going to wrap. So once you get to that, what does it have to look like or what temperature internally do you need to get at in order for you to consider wrapping the rib? So for me, I'm cooking at 300 degrees on the Bronco Pros. I'm hanging my ribs. So roughly between an hour and an hour and 25, 30 minutes, I'm wrapping. It all depends on if I'm getting that mahogany color. Normally, I can just tell by feel when it's about time to go into wrap, and that's normally about an hour and 15 to an hour and 20. I've had some ribs that have to go in the wrap a little bit sooner just because they're a thinner rib. But if that's the case, what I try to do is have a hot and a cold side on my pro. So if that's the case, I'll put that one on the cooler side for a few minutes so they all can get wrapped about the same time. When I'm wrapping, it's basically a sweet with a little bit of heat wrap using a lot of different little things. I use... One of my best buddies I've met in the competition field, Dan Lane, I use his candy apple barbecue sauce in my wrap, as well as a little bit of turbinol sugar, butter, and then just a few other little ingredients that I hold dear, dear to my heart that I will not say. Until you give your first <laughs> cooking class, of course, and then you have to spill yeah. your guts like everybody does. Uh, Hondo, when you get it on, what do you like to run the cooker at? And then if you do wrap, what kind of a process are you looking for there? I'm using anywhere from like 280 to 285, uh, a little bit, a little bit lower than that. But uh, for me, um, usually it's just by sight. We're looking at the color. As long as we get that nice, deep, rich mahogany color on, on those ribs, usually what ends up happening is that temp will be about the same, about 150 to 160 when we're we're probing it. But I always tell guys, you know, when they're cooking, you know, just just feel it out and see where you're at. If you get your color where you're at, you know, you can a- achieve your tenderness and temps when you're in your wrap. Um, and once we wrap it up, I mean, after that, it's it's mostly feel. That that rib will tell you when it's ready. Um, you get all these, you know, thermal pens and everything else out there, and I tell them it's just a high-priced toothpick at that point. I mean, you're just poking and prodding and how it's going to go in and how easy that is. I mean, that's that's pretty much it. So I know guys that, you know, they probe it and they put it in and go to temp, but for me, it's just all about the feel. And I, I tell these guys, you know, you got to – you got to um, – remember that these are you know muscles from animals and every single one is different you know um so yeah i I always tell them you know let the meat talk to you you know it's it's going to let you know by feel and we've done so many especially at the restaurant with stuff that you know you start to get a feel for it as soon as you pick that rack up and it's wrapped you already know how much give it has and you know if you've overshot or if you're almost about there and I'm, i'm sure these two gentlemen are the same way you can pretty much feel where you're at when you pick that rack up you know if you've missed the mark or if you got a little bit more to go so it's a lot of feel and sight and look and rely on your senses. Wes, what do you run the cooker at, and what's the wrap process look like for you if you do it? Yeah, the ribs go on the Pro Bronco. Um, I like to lay mine flat, not hang them. I normally can get three racks uh, on the surface. I like to run it at 325. I'm super hot and fast. Um, two hours at that temperature with some nice cherry wood. Um, before I wrap, I make sure I touch the top of the rib that the um, seasoning is set so it doesn't wash off into the uh, the wrap. But when I go to wrap, you know, do butter and I like um, a guave syrup and uh, sugar in the raw, some tiger sauce and a couple more things that I will keep to myself. But um, that'll stay in the wrap for an hour at 250 degrees. Um, and then like uh, Hondo said, you go in and grab those ribs and if it's got that flex to it, they're, they're ready to go. If it doesn't, if it feels like it's pretty stiff in there, that they need to go longer. And um, if you're looking for a temperature, I know a lot of people do, uh, it's going to be somewhere between 212 and 214 probably whenever, if you're looking for a perfect temperature, I think that might be what you've gunned for. 
now that we're done cooking these ribs, um, this would probably be a little bit more competition focused, but answer however you want. After you get them off, when we talk about brisket and pork, but even chicken, there's always a factored amount of rest time. But I don't know if there's that much of a conversation that's also held when it comes to ribs. So, Wes, if we go back to you, when you get them off, are you doing anything specific? Is there a hold of some sort or a technique that you use after they come off before you would slice them, box them, and run them to the tent? take them off the smoker and I set them to the side for 10 minutes, no longer than that. And then I take them out of the wrap and I, I hold them over the wrap. So the, the liquid runs off and then I'll put them back on the drum to dry off the top. So you don't have a, a surface area when you put your sauce that takes longer to set. Um, and I put the sauce on and let that set for about 10 minutes. And then I'll bring it to the cutting board and I'll slice and give them to the customer or in a turn in box. Same way. Uh, Hondo, what are you doing after you, take them off uh, when they're done any process of holding or anything that you do before you slice them up and put them in the box yeah i'll usually open up the wrap um set it aside uh for me it's it's the same anywhere about 10 to 15 minutes um i will separate all the the juices that are inside that wrap and put them in the container and let the fat separate um and we'll use the bottom part of that jus we'll mix it with a little bit of sauce and we'll kind of put that on first and then we'll actually throw it back on the grill i have tend to get better results when I put it over some hot coals, like a, uh, a Weber, for instance, and kind of let that heat char up some of these little bits, you know, before you actually put sauce on it. Um, and then once they come off, we'll sauce them, uh, individually slice, and then they'll go on to, um, either the offset, uh, depending on what we're using or back in the pellet smoker for about 15 minutes, let the sauce set, and then they go into the box. Rico, how do you take them to finish once they're done cooking? For me, uh, I finish my ribs off a little early. I actually let them rest for about 45 minutes before I even touch them, going back onto the cooker. And for me, I'm pre-slicing before I even sauce. Um, I'll actually dip it into the sauce, like dunk it like people do a chicken. And I heat my sauce up for about an hour. It's in a water bath at 175 degrees. So I know exactly right when I'm taking my, right when I put my sauce on, it's going to be good. And then it's sitting on that cooker for about 10 like between five to 10 minutes, depending on how much it actually needs. But during that time when I'm putting it back on, I'm taking a handful of uh, just little shavings, little dust shavings from cherry wood or pecan to pimp on where I am for where I'm cooking and who I'm cooking for. And I'll put that at the very back just to get that sauce with a little bit, of, a little bit more smoke, just that final hit. And then I'll just put my little finishing powder right back onto it and I'm all set. And that's how I'll turn it in. So there's your rib stuff. Now let's talk about what everybody wants to do, and that's a great brisket. So easy. But we'll trouble you guys anyway with some of your great advice here. Uh, Wes, let's kind of run back to the beginning like we did with ribs. Um, brisket's a little bit different monster, right? Uh, people know a little bit more about brisket and purveyors and Wagyu or primes or CABs, what have you. What's your favorite, and are you a whole packer guy, or will you uh, just do flats? Oh, no, I like to cook the whole Packard. Um, I'm looking for a nice prime grade. Um, yeah, Wagyu's nice, but I'm not going to spend $250 every time for a brisket. But I do like prime. I like to look for a nice thick brisket. Um, 16 to 18 pound range is my target. I also like to look at the point side to make sure I've got a, a nice area where I can make burn-ins out of because when a customer orders brisket, they also want burn-ins. They just don't want the flats, you know. So I, I'd like to look for the look over the whole thing like i said make sure there's a nice thick surface and there's point and a lot of marbling in the prime uh, rico what do you like for a brisket 
Uh, for personal use, I like a nice prime brisket, like Wes just said. But for competition, I'm using Marble Ridge Farms Wagyu briskets. I'm using their Max line. I'm trying to put out the best product I'm trying to do for these judges. And up here in New England, if you're not cooking Wagyu, you're not going to be scoring that well. Do you think they That's noticed or we, they've become trained? Uh, their palate has yes. become unknowingly trained I, to expect it? I completely agree that it is trained. Huh. But what I do differently is I'll actually separate out my point and my flat so I can cook them separately and I can do them at different temperatures in my cookers. Hondo, what do you like for briskets? Prime. That's uh, what we've kind of grown to love out here. And um, back to what you were saying about taste, uh, I feel like I've gotten better results with a prime as opposed to doing Wagyu just because most of the judges are not have not been on the judges circuit for that long that, you know, their palate, you know, it's, it's like the only comparison that I can think of is, is, you know, having somebody who's never had caviar before, you know, not appreciate the cost and the palate and for what it actually is. Um, you know, you can have people that, Oh, this is, you know, $300 caviar. And it's like, well, I don't care. It tastes like shit. Like, you know, cause that's just <laughs> not what they're, that's not what they're it's used like to. You're talking about so, me on purpose. <laughs> but you know but the people that their palate is trained for that they can appreciate it and so you're not going to get that level of judge unless you're at a big competition so when you're going to you know your weekend comps where you're going to do stuff most of the judges are not going to be accustomed to having wagyu because they don't know and for them it leaves a weird mouthfeel you know with them with that richness of fat that's there that really some people have grown to appreciate and some people haven't so just personally for me, I've gotten better results with out here and maybe it's just because the level of judging isn't the same, you know, so we've gotten better results with prime. Um, but it's the same thing. We're trimming. Uh, that is one thing that we do inject. Um, and then we'll rub it and let it sit for as long as we can. And then, uh, my text is back is, you know, we've always finished with a pepper finish with everything on the outside to make sure that you can see that seasoning on it. Um, which is just going to hit your palate, you know, in the mouth, as soon as the judges put that in their mouth, but I do separate the point and the flat. So just so I can cook it at two different temps. Uh, Rico, what's your uh, process as far as trimming, seasoning, injecting, and all that stuff? So for me, uh, if I'm trimming just for a personal, I'll trim right then and there that day. For competition, I'm trimming three days before I leave. God forbid something's wrong on that brisket. I want to know before I even get to that comp. I'll recrawl it up. But for me, I'm making my injections the day of the event. I'm using just butcher's prime beef with a little beef stock and a little consomme inside there. And for rubs, I'm using Oak Ridge Barbecue and Triple B from Ribs Within. Wes, your brisket prep operation. My brisket takes about, uh, this is non-comp, this is for caterings and et cetera. Um, it's about a 45-minute trim. I want to make sure I, I start getting all the silver skin off the top. Um, rub will not stick to the silver skin if you do not get it off. Um, flip the brisket over, trim the fat down to about a quarter of an inch, um, I actually trim all the fat off the point so the burn ends can develop a bark. Then I like to inject also. Um, I've got uh, some Moo Magic from Flaps 20 that I always use. It gives it a great savory flavor. Um, and I like pepper. I like pepper, kosher salt, and a little bit of garlic on my brisket. And I feel like that's all you need. Um, and I'm going to cook that brisket nice, low, and slow for 12 hours. What do you run the cooker at? Well, the first six hours, I run it at 180. Um, I, oh. co I have started cooking the brisket on the pellet smoker, and I just love the bark that I get. So what I like to do to get the maximum smoke I can out of that DLX is to run it low, uh, 180, and she's going to puff like a dragon and get all that nice smoke. Then I'm going to bump it up to 275 to get it to 170 internal, and then I'm going to wrap it in butcher paper, 
And it's kind of like uh, Hondo said earlier, um, you're going to go grab that brisket when you think it's done. It's going to have that jiggle to it. And it's pretty much ready to go. Um, if anybody's looking at temperature, I like 205. And I always like to rest my brisket for two hours. Let that moisture draw back into that brisket so it's not dry. Would you say the longer hold you can accomplish, the better? Or is two hours really the optimum hold time? For me, two hours is it. Anything over two hours, you're wasting your time. Go ahead and plan on two hours, and you'll get as good as product as you, you'll want. Hondo, your uh, cooking process, what do you run in the cooker at, all that fun stuff? Uh, we do briskets anywhere from like 200 to 215. Um, they do take anywhere from 10 to 12 hours. Uh, same thing, you know, we'll start it out real low, let it go till we get a nice bark. Um, and then, uh, when we wrap just because I've only used, uh, foil paper, that's kind of what we've always used with everything. Uh, double wrap that guy. Um, we put a little bit of beef broth in that wrap, uh, to kind of let it, you know, uh, uh, develop some more jus. When that guy comes out, you get a little bit more yield out of it. And that's what we dip our slices and everything else in after. But, um, We'll run it like that for uh, probably about anywhere from s probably about six to seven hours uh, before we wrap. Um, and the same thing, we're looking for feel. If, if they're not getting quite the color that you want, we'll let them go for an extra hour or so um, and wrap them up. Uh, the pull temp, though, uh, that we do do, we do shoot for 205 to 206. Um, and then the same thing with Wes, we we pull that guy out and let it rest for at least two hours uh we'll wrap it in a blanket throw in the ice chest or or the camber depending on what's available and uh kind of let it ride out and like I, he said same thing you pick that guy up and you can feel the give on both sides and got that little jiggle to it and you already know you're there you don't have to open that guy up what do you do different to the point you said you would separate it so how do you treat that yeah so so instead of once it's finally done we'll actually take it out and we'll hope to get it uh when we pull out internal Closer to 200, just because we know it's going to go back, it's going to get sauced and go back into the pit to make burn-ins. Um, we'll take it out of the wrap. We'll slice it up into our cubes. We'll sauce it, put it on a, um, a cooling rack, and then throw that guy back into the smoker and let them get that nice caramelized, uh, uh, real stickiness to the outside that people have grown to love. So, Rico, your cooking process, what are you running the temps at, wrapping, all that fun stuff? So I'm cooking a hotter than these guys are cooking. I'm cooking at 300 to 325 from my brisket. I'm hot and fast. I like to put it on first thing in the morning and have it done by 11 o'clock. So I'm getting about an hour rest to hour and a half, depending on what I'm trying to do with it. Uh, for when I'm wrapping, it's about three hours after. It's right at the color I'm looking for, the nice mahogany color to that brisket. And then when I'm wrapping it, just in tin foil in a foil pan, I'll put it in a foil pan first and put tin foil over the top. I'll have when I'm cooking the brisket, I'll have a water pan right below with four bottles of water that's catching all the IU and that's what I'm actually using in my wrap liquid for that. And then my brisket point is separate off that. So I'm just putting a little bit of barbecue sauce and a little beef stock into that and that's how I'm letting that sit on the cooker when it's all done. And I'm pulling my briskets off between two oh five to two oh eight, but Depending upon the brisket, it's going to be hotter. It could go lower. It's all on feel. So I'll actually mm -hmm. set my thermal dots to about 200, and then I'll stop probing at 200 every little bit just to see where I'm looking at. Because sometimes where it's at 200, it might take 20 minutes to could take another hour. You never know on the muscles on the brisket. And um, once that's done, I'm resting for about an hour, hopefully, to an hour and a half. Depends on what I'm doing. And then... um. I'm just slicing it, putting it back into a little bit of ajou, brushing with a little barbecue sauce, and turning that in. Wes, how do you finish uh, when you're going to turn it? 
going back to the KCBS days, same way with Rico's half Aju mixture, half barbecue sauce. Um, do a light coat and then a finishing rub, nice savory finishing rub. And I like to put seven or eight slices to the box and then uh, six pieces of burn in for the judges. I know how you finish in that brisket when it's all said and done. Exactly the same as that. It just it just sounds like it's the same process, just different rubs and sauces is what it sounds like. <laughs> is that the is that perhaps where some of the staleness has set in in competition? That you know we have three guys here on this panel, and I would say ninety uh, percent of what Hondo's doing or what West is doing, what Rico is doing, the other two guys are roughly doing the same thing. You're almost rewarded for trying to get outside the box in order to stand out. Uh, has that? hurt the growth of the sport do you think Hondo? yeah absolutely um the hard part is you know i remember seeing it was an interview with um oh what is his name marcus uh what's his name from uh, kcbs i i am drawing a blank right now i see his face but his whole thing was you know talking about the flavor profiles and how they've changed but then it just it ended up on sweet at one point and it just stayed there <laughs> and now it's almost like everybody with kcbs it just seems like it's just you have to be sweet 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 and you know if you start to veer out of that it's almost like you're punished a little bit you know with your scoring because these judges they go through their classes to get certified you know as a judge and it's kind of implicated that you know oh this is what you're looking for this is what you want this is what you want this is what's supposed to taste like um so i mean i have experimented with stuff and that was you know the early days of, of competition and i was taking my lickings and getting beat down with the stuff that i like that i thought was going to set me apart and it wasn't until i kind of got in line and started doing what you know I, I was i was told to do um is when i started getting better results and started bringing home trophies and it just was like okay well i had to remember and tell myself i'm not cooking for myself i'm cooking for these judges and i think that's why i kind of didn't like and i liked more doing you know caterings and, and the window of the restaurant industry was you know it's instant gratification hearing these people talk about oh this, this is like the best barbecue i've ever had like before like you know they never knew anything like that and i think that was our uniqueness was being able to be in competition barbecue and then taking that and some of those techniques and then implementing them into the restaurant industry. And these people had never had anything like that because unless you went out to a competition, you weren't getting super glazed ribs or super tender brisket that was explode flavor in your mouth. I mean, it just was one of those things that people were kind of blown away by. And that's why I think I got away from competition for a little bit. Um, but now it seems like we're going the opposite direction. We're getting right back into it. So I, I might be a little, um, I, I guess, a little more old school in, in my ways of, of what I'm doing in competition. So uh, maybe it needs to go, you know, a little bit different, uh, but I do feel like it has gotten to be a little bit more uniform and consistent with, you know, what you're trying to produce. Rico, uh, do you tend to agree with what Hondo's saying as far as being punished for getting outside of the box instead of potentially rewarded? Yes, I totally agree with that. But at the other end, I feel like when you do a people's choice, you when you're thinking outside that box at people's choice comp, like at a KSPS and they want to do people's choice, I think outside the box a lot. I'll end up doing like egg rolls. I'll do something different. And the people there are always like, oh, these are great. And we've done very well doing people's choice because I do have somewhat of a culinary background. I did go to culinary school. I dropped out, but I did went to a technical high school for culinary. So I know how people perceive stuff and how they want to eat it but at the comps it's all sweet it's all sweet with a little heat now if you try to change it you're going to be penalized i mean for the first five years i thought i knew what i was doing and i didn't i was always giving my best thought and i started taking some courses and my scores improved dramatically and some of the courses i've taken i've used their recipes but then i've adapted to my own and 
when I change it just to how I want it, it's actually done pretty well. But you always have to remember, you're feeding people who might not know how to cook barbecue, but enjoy eating barbecue. That's how I look at it sometimes Absolutely. because not everyone can go out and cook like we do at a competition or just out in general. Because we're trying to feed one bite challenge. We're trying to implement the most flavor we can possibly give these people. And hardest part for me is I like something one way. They're going to like it a different way. But I have to cook it the way the judges want it. And every day, that's a constant battle with myself. Because it's like, I know this could be a little better if I do it my way. But <laughs> it's not how the judges want it. They want this one flavor. Wes, your thoughts on that? Yeah. Hey, yeah. Um, getting back to KCBS, it's not we're not bashing them. We're just trying to improve that, that sport. And I would love to see it uh, change a little bit where instead of having a cookie cutter diagram, a judge sits there and eats something and he likes it for what it is, not for what it should be. And I compare it right now to NASCAR. Um, you've got a field of 40 cook teams or 40 sport cars. Well, there's 10 that's going to win all the time. And then there's field fillers. And right now there's a lot of field fillers. And when you spend $1,200 on the comp and walk away empty handed, that's tough. And there needs to be some simplicity involved to give everyone a fair chance. Wes, uh, let's wrap it up here this evening as we're recording for a Tuesday release. Anything you'd like to promote? Anything that's coming up that you'd like to tell us about? The floor is yours. I'm uh, I'm going to talk about Oklahoma Joe's real quick. Um, if you're on the fence about looking a smoker or a brand, give them a shot. Take a look at them. They're built like a tank. They've been around tried and trued. Um, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Customer service is top-notch. What we got going on is SCA comps through the summer and a lot of caterings. Um, we'll be traveling up towards Rico's land, uh, Delaware, in August. Um, I've got a barbecue trailer that should be here in about two weeks, so I'm excited to get that. And just looking forward to finishing out 2020 strong. Hondo, what do you have coming up? What would you like to promote? The floor is yours. So, I mean, just like, like Wes, it's just one of those things that, you know, I've always believed in Oklahoma Joe's as, as a smoking brand. Um, just the quality of pit that's out there and the results that you can get for it is great for an entry level as well as professional. It, regardless of what you're doing, if you're doing competitions or you just want to be the king of the cul-de-sac, I feel like they got something for you. Um, now, if you're more comfortable with pellet grills, you know, their pellet grill line has greatly been improved. Um, but then just having stuff in the backyard with that kettle or even just a straight longhorn, there's so many modifications that you can do out there and there's so many pages pages on Facebook and Instagram that these guys are sharing mods and, and kind of, you know, going through troubleshooting stuff. If, if they don't want to reach out to, to one of these guys, I know any two of these gentlemen, if anybody were to ask them anything about, you know, their smokers or how their setup is, uh, you know, I love sharing everything that I've learned over the years uh, with that stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just, like I said, that, that brand is just tried and true and, and I can't see myself using anything else uh, from here on out. Um, for us, I mean, the biggest comp coming up for us is going to be World Food Championships in Dallas in uh, November. So um, we'll be representing Oklahoma Joe's as well as Blues Hog and B&B Charcoal. Uh, those are my main three sponsors there. Um, they'll be traveling with me um, and and getting everything set up. And we're going to take our shot at you know that $300,000 purse. So um, we have a trailer coming uh, that's being built uh, right now. Um, 
in Houston, Texas, and we picked that guy up in about a month. And so uh, we'll be making the drive out to Texas, visiting some uh, some close friends and family, and a lot of my 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 fellow uh, restaurant tours out there, and, and kind of doing the, the food tour, um, and then making our way back here to California, and then have to drive back out to Dallas again in a couple months. So we're excited. Rico, uh, floor is yours to promote or talk about whatever you'd like here, and I appreciate your participation tonight. For me, um, I promote the Broncos left and right to a lot of people. I mean, I've let my Broncos out to a couple of my buddies who are trying to learn how to cook and stuff like that. And the Broncos are trying true for me. I will stick with my Broncos for comps for years and years and years. The Rambler for SCA is great. Like Wes said, there's an SCA in Delaware. Ah, it's a little bit of a hike for me. It's about six hours, so I'm trying to figure out if I can pull it out of my hat. <laughs> I was signed up. I did back out because... I am getting married in a year and a half, so I got to kind of put a little the wedding. Yeah. But for us, for the competition field, uh, in next this pit coming weekend, which would be the past weekend when people are going to be listening to this podcast, I'll be up at Harpoon uh, vending with a good buddy of mine from Fat Kids Barbecue, and I'm going to be out there cooking, and he's going to be using some of my stuff. So we'll be having a great time. But we have about three to four comps lined up for the end of the summer to fall. Where we have two KSBSs locked in so far. One is under my collab team with one of my best buddies out in the field. We this year decided to team up for a couple events and rename our team as Shanty Bag. Combined to both teams' names. <laughs> and the first time out, we actually, our first time teaming up, we got a 180 in Skohegan, Maine, in a couple weeks ago. And that was my first 180. That was his. Oh, congratulations. He started the process on his yeah, cooker and then we awesome. finished it off. We finished everything off on the Broncos. So we. Worked well, and we're hoping that that will, that same speed will go into a higher main in the end of August. Then we have a campground competition at a campground in Massachusetts, and then we have a Neb's tailgates, which are in the fall for us. And then I have one of my bigger competitions I do is Culinary Fight Club, and that's back this year in Massachusetts, which I'll be back part of. I got to go defend my championship from that to 2019 when the last time it was for us here, and. I just want to say thank you to all my sponsors as well. I have Oklahoma Joe, Better Wood Products, Lump Charcoal, Flaming Grill and Products, Oak Ridge Barbecue, and Chef Dan Lane. I use all their products religiously left and right, and I just want to say thank you for even having us on the show. This is Rico Pesquale from Q Shanty, or I believe there's a collab team that you said was Shanty Bag, which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, Wes Edwards from Farmhouse Barbecue, and of course, rounding out the panel, Hondo Hernandez of Show Off Barbecue. Gents, really appreciate the time this evening for breaking down ribs, for breaking down brisket, and then, of course, learning about you guys' continued success. And we hope to have you on the show again soon. Absolutely. Awesome. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. How was that bonus content segment? You loved it. You loved learning about three brand new people that have never been on the show before. We love learning a little bit more about Oklahoma Joe and how these guys are using them, of course. And you love the fact that we talked about ribs specifically and brisket specifically because everybody's wanting to make better ribs and better brisket. A little competition focused here. I didn't know if we were going to go more backyard or more competition, but it seemed to flow more into the competition side of things, which is certainly fine with me. Maybe that will lead to a revival of the Barbecue Central Show's competition roundtable. Yet to be determined, but it could happen. Once again, I thank my panel members this evening, Rico Pasquale, Q Shanty, 
Shanty BBQ on Instagram. Wes Edwards, pitmaster of Farmhouse Barbecue, which is Farmhouse Barbecue, B-A-R-B-E-C-U-E on Instagram. And rounding it out, Hondo Hernandez, show off barbecue. That's show off underscore, uh, underscore, underscore BBQ on Instagram. As you've probably noticed, there will be no live show this evening on Tuesday because I am out of town. However, when we come back in one week's time, we will be back and better than ever. Malcolm Reed will be here. Sam the Cooking Guy will be here amongst the cast of many others. Perhaps even a sighting from the one and only Dickie Pace. Who knows? So how do I always leave you? September 11th, 2001. I will never forget. And until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now! This is Chris Payne from Euclid, Ohio, and you are listening to Barbecue Central.